Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Dear Ruby podcast. Uh, Our podcast is all about personal finance. We try to answer the questions that Canadians have about their money, about what's happening right now in the world, especially when it comes to COVID-19. We have dedicated the last two and a half months of our podcast to COVID-19, answering questions that people may have about new announcements that have been coming out by the government, uh, problems that people are facing because they've lost their jobs or they've seen their hours reduced. Uh, a lot of people are at home collecting things like CERB or unemployment insurance and not sure when they're going to get back to work. And that's obviously having a huge impact on the way that we manage our money. We know we're not going to be in this situation forever, but at the same time, we don't know when we're going to get out of it. And so it's really hard to plan what you can do with your cash If you don't really know when you're going to get back to work and be making that same salary again. And even if you are working, it's very hard to sometimes think maybe my company might be laying laying people off in the future. I may not be working at the same rate that I'm working now. So it's really hard to plan uh, when there is so much uncertainty in the market. Uh, Today, we've got a really great show planned for you. We're going to talk about all the new announcements that were made this week by the federal government. Uh, Of course, we're going to talk about the protests that continue across Canada, across the world, really, and of course, in the United States, and how that's impacting COVID-19 and how that's impacting our personal finances and how this could lead to the pandemic being extended uh, with more and more people getting together for these protests. Could that mean more people will get sick? And could that mean this pandemic is just going to last that much longer? I wanted to bring in my co-host, Bo Humphreys. Bo, how has your week been? It's been such a heavy couple of weeks. It's really hard to sort of understand how I, I'm finding it hard to understand how I feel about the news and how to react to certain things that are happening in normal circumstances. I'd be all for the protesters, but I'm finding it really hard during a global pandemic, during a global emergency to say that it's okay to go out there and be side by side and protesting. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm doing all right. Uh, anxiety is uh, heightened uh, for me. Uh, you know, I already had trouble uh, going outside uh, that much in the first place. I think with everything going on, it's just hard for me to go out for anything that's not essential. And uh, you know, I, I will face it uh, at some point uh, when I have to. But right now, it just seems like I'm just really comfortable at home. Um, so yeah, along those notes, it's it's hard to understand like. I really support protesting uh, as well, and of course, uh, and this know, cause, the, the I Black like this matter, and yeah, yeah exactly, right? Like all, uh, all of this, and uh, you know, we're we're anti-racist, you know, um, the, uh, you know, all of the all of the good things that you know we talk about a lot too. Um, we support, um, but it's it's this added thing of being a pandemic. So like we're talking about. Don't go out in groups. Don't do anything, right? We we just kind of cracked down on the Trinity Bellwoods thing that happened, and now we're seeing thousands and thousands of people gathering, some with masks, some without, chanting. As you said, it's like um, maybe there's a, a different way to protest in this kind of situation, um, but maybe this is the 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 only way to to be heard as well. So it's you're right. It's it kind of conflicted, like. What what rules do we follow? Um, it's it's a little tough to to watch and to know like how to feel about all of this. Yeah, and and the leaders of the countries that are now saying you know giving support to the protesters, kudos to them, and saying uh, you know that they they support the cause 
all those things are so great to hear because the protesting for black rights, for Black Lives Matter has been something for years we've been hearing about and we have not heard leaders actually react to it in the way that we're hearing. But can't they do it online? Don't Do they have to go into the protest, mask or not, and break all the rules that they have been telling us to follow? It really does send a really confusing message when you say to me, I can't go and have a backyard visit with my mother, but -hmm. you can go into a protest of thousands of people chanting and take a knee for your photo. Now, I'm not calling it a photo op because I I think that's really unfair. I think, um, you know, uh, uh, chiefs of police, leaders of cities, leaders of countries, they're all making it known that they support Black Lives Matter. And I think that that's that's that is important. And in normal circumstances, I would be cheering them on, but I just feel like public health trumps everything. If you are sick or getting other people sick, that is going to take away from everything that you have worked towards. Can't we take the protest online? Can't we have more Blackout Tuesdays? Can't we do things on a global scale, but safely from home? I think we can. We've been doing everything else. We've been celebrating and, you know, I've in, in the last three months, I've had uh, family members who have passed away. We've had people who have gotten married. We've had birthdays. Other things have been able to adjust. Why can't we adjust this as well? And maybe that just shows how, uh, you know, the, the quote I like is uh, we're tired of being tired, right? Of course. Uh, in the, you know, especially the black people in the U.S., it uh, maybe that just shows how they don't they don't even care about the covid risk. Yeah, it, it, the the protesting is more important, and but you're right. The leaders uh, should set a, a better example, right? Um, but uh, yeah, like I don't know what it's like to be a person of color. You do. But you don't know what it's like to be a black person, right? It's 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 not exactly the same, right? No, no, no. That's a hundred percent. It's not even close to being the same. And this is something that I'm learning more and more about. About mm-hmm. you cannot lump people of color or minorities into one section. Everyone sure. has a different experience. How you arrived in this country, how your ancestors came here really does indicate how you, what you feel about your existence here. So my parents immigrated here because they were highly educated and they had jobs when they landed. I had a completely different experience than a black person whose yeah. ancestors came here on a slave ship. I mean, it's a, it, it's so unfair for me to even say that I understand what it is to be a black person just because I happen to have brown skin. It, it's a completely, di- yes, there are issues with South Asians and colorism and shadism. And there's so many different issues that we ourselves in our community have to deal with. But I do not, I cannot, I can be an ally, but I cannot say I understand because I don't, I simply do not understand. That's really good to for, uh, to hear. I mean, it's good for you to. Uh, I'm glad that you said that, right? Because a lot of people would just. I mean, we do tend to just say, uh, you know, uh, people of color, right, or or women of color, or you know, in terms of lumping everybody together. But you're right. Or minority you, groups, and minority, minority groups, groups include people who are disabled. Minority groups include yes. people who are from LGBTQ community. I mean, yeah. everyone has a different experience. Uh, being a disabled person from a wealthy family is different than being a black person who grew up in poverty. There's just no comparison. Yeah, no both comparison. have both have their struggles. Both have uh, issues of how they are treated in the community that have to be dealt with. But you cannot say that you understand each other because you don't. So, like you said, we we, we try to be allies. You know, yeah. Um, and Ally- and listen do, and amplify. And so, yeah. you know, I have people on uh, my podcast in the next couple of weeks who uh, you know are 
um, going uh, either directly involved in protesting or you know uh, uh, feminism, uh, uh, promote, promoting uh, women of color uh, podcasting, um, that kind of thing. And so uh, you know that's what I can do. I can amplify, right? Because I don't understand. I, I mean, mm -hmm. so I understand, but I can't understand. You know, like I I try to understand, but I ha can't experience it. That w what you, you could sympathize, but you could experience. never empathize. That's right. Uh, yeah. You know, I have all the privilege in the world. And so uh, let's just talk about those without. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted to get to a couple of the announcements that were made this week, uh, specifically on one group that is obviously uh, struggling, which is uh, Canadians who are disabled, disabled persons in Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, the government this week made an announcement that they're going to provide a one time non-taxable payment of $600 uh, for those people who receive uh, this, who rather have a disability tax credit certificate. Um, if you are someone who already receives old age security, you'll get less. If you get both old age security and the guaranteed income supplement, you'll get even less than that. But the, the message that the federal government is sending is that those persons with disabilities are finding it harder to afford things during COVID-19, whether it because of job loss, whether it because of increased um, uh, stress on uh, having to use taxis or other services that obviously cost a little bit more money to get around or use online grocery shopping, which is more expensive than actually going to the grocery store, whatever it might be, uh, government's recognizing that they need uh, a little bit more money in their pockets. I'm not sure what $600 is going to do, one-time payment. Um, but it is good that they're recognizing uh, that there is definitely um, money that needs to go towards uh, persons who have a disability. They're also uh, putting more money uh, behind uh, programs uh, to help persons with disabilities find jobs um, so that they can find quality jobs that pay well, uh, whether it be now or after the pandemic is over. So focusing on a group of people uh, that definitely uh, need need some attention because uh, when these things happen, we tend to um, we tend to bring in programs that help the masses, but then many people often fall through the cracks. And I think this is exactly what they're recognizing with that. It, I mean, you, you make a good point. Um, yeah, I, I, I when if I look at this, just like for the first time, and I see you get six hundred dollars once. If you are on OAS, you get three hundred, and if you are on OAS and GIS, you get a hundred dollars. I'd, okay, I mean, I'm just going to say that sounds terrible to me. But, um, you know, I'm not a politician. I'm realizing this. I don't know how uh, people come up with this stuff. I know it costs lots of money. I'm not good at allocating. $100 is better than nothing. So who am I to, to judge the validity of this program? Uh, you know, uh, at least they're getting something. But $100 for someone, like if you get OAS and GIS, it means you don't make uh, a lot of money at all. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I mean, is the extra hundred dollars going to do anything? Maybe. I, I this is hard. I, I've realized all of these benefits are hard for me to assess as as being good or not good. It's just good that we get something, I guess. Yeah, and it's really you know, I think that there's also um, I don't want to call it lip service, but I think that there the government's uh, uh, has a, a duty to recognize that there are groups that even if they're income situation hasn't changed that because of the of the uh dis because of their disability um they things are just harder for them to get done maybe some of the programs that they were used to getting um you know for example uh, my mom has a psw come into the home and help her that has stopped because um 
some of them work in old uh, in uh, ho- um, uh, in nursing homes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and the rules have changed of where they can and can't work. So yeah. you know, some things have been taken. I mean, she she is not in a situation where she doesn't have help. She has help around her. Uh, but you know, I can imagine someone who doesn't have any help, and now uh, that personal support worker is not coming in the home, not helping them do things like take showers and maybe clean up a little bit and around their house or do their laundry, things that are just hard for those persons with disability to do. Maybe they've now had to hire that person or maybe they're trying to do it on their own. Um, I think the money is just going to help those people feel better about the situation right now, um, and be able to afford a couple of things that maybe weren't possible without, without the $600. I I mean, I'm just assuming, I don't know whether it's going to make a big difference, it's a one-time but payment. It's, it's non-taxable. It's an acknowledgement. Said, right? That's it. Yeah. It's like, okay, you're not excluded from all of this. But yeah, like who's to, who's to not every, and of course, it's like, it's not, not all people with disability or, or uh, seniors are in the same financial position either. So to, to distribute this across the board is like, some people don't need it at all. Some people do, right? Um, so, you know, some people are more well off than others. So it's about, I guess, politics in this case is finding the balance or if you're the minister of finance it's yeah. like you're always fi- making the right decision based on all the information you have that's got to be tough I, yeah. i'm just starting to really sort of uh, recognize that is uh it's tough to allocate money to a, a country or a province you know and th- and and somebody's something's got to give always doesn't it um yeah and <clears throat> i think during this pandemic Governments around the world, from what I've been reading, are just trying to keep everybody, I wouldn't even say the word is happy, but keep everybody comfortable. Mm. Because we are dealing with anxiety and uh, stress and um, loneliness and depression, other things that, you know, maybe we wouldn't be dealing with if, if, if it was just a normal time and you still had, you were still a dis- disabled person and you were still living in the world, you may still have other things that are, are, are um, difficult for you to do, but the pandemic has just accelerated it's any other feeling. Yeah, yeah, it's ramped everything up. And so, um, I, I mean, I can't criticize the government for doing it. I understand why they're doing it. I just don't know what difference it's going to really make, 600 bucks. Um, we'll what One number we... Exactly. One number that was uh, pretty incredible this week was the unemployment numbers they came out now as you know we've lost millions of jobs because of COVID-19 mm-hmm. many people on CERB um, many people not not knowing when they're going to be going back to work so um, across Canada so this is not necessarily for one province but across Canada uh, some businesses have started to open up again and the wage subsidy program which the government promises to subsidize employees salaries up to 75% for companies that have been affected by COVID-19 up to a maximum of about $1,200 a week. And so companies have been able to rehire some people back. And those numbers were shown 289,600 jobs came back in May, according to StatsCan. But because more people are now looking for work, the unemployment rate actually rose to 13.7%. And that is a grim record because it's the highest in more than four decades. The last time we were there was uh, December 1982, when we hit 13.1%, and that was at the depth of a recession. Um, you know, you work, uh, Bo, with people who um, have obviously uh, fin- are having financial difficulty, finding yeah. it hard to pay their bills. Um, what are you hearing on the ground uh, from those people who may have lost their jobs during COVID-19? Um, are they back working? or how are they, um, how are they coping with the fact that they have these bills that they have to pay? They have this financial difficulty. 
um, are, 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 but at the same time, it's a pandemic. Are, are they, are they wanting to go back to work? What's, what's the feeling that you're getting? A couple of people I talked to this week are actually, they're like, oh, we're starting back. It's June. We're starting back. Right. They're, they're bringing us back. Maybe they're a little closer to essential service. So they're, uh, they're able to get back to work. Um, a lot of people, I mean, there's, there were a few people in the last month that they or their industry has been decimated. Right. Um, and, and some people, so the, some people are pivoting. They're like, well, I guess I got to find something else. Some people are like, I'm going to wait and see what's, what's going to happen. Um, but I, uh, but the, I think the CERB is running out for me, they say, right. Cause we're kind of, we're into, uh, could you uh, max out your CRB by the end of June? You could, uh, right? Well, it started March, uh, April, it, May, June. Um, no. yeah, you could. Well, if you if you took it right from the beginning, March fifteenth, so March fifteenth to April, April to May, May to June, June to July. So, so yeah, mid July. July. So you're starting to get close to that feeling of uh oh, and they're not extending CERB because I mean you simply cannot have income support forever. Yeah. Um, and so that's those, why some of them will get to EI. Yeah, some of them will just Someone go because the, they they started on CRB and but but that they're they're not making as much money as they were no matter what. First of all, two thousand dollars a month uh, isn't even close to what some of the people who got laid off that I'm talking to were making. Mm-hmm. So they're in survival mode completely. So it, it's uh, the it's kind of grim, to be honest, is what I what I'm what I'm hearing. I mean, the people I talk to are already in insolvency. Right, they're already in a, a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy, but we and and of course, uh, if you look at the stats, if you if you go to hoys dot com, um, the uh, the stats for bankruptcy uh, is uh, and insolvencies are lowest they've had been in a long time, but of course the caveat there is that's not going to be like that. This is just a temporary dip. As soon as everything the courts reopen and everything else reopens and people feel like they have their steady-ish income again, then they're going to deal with what happened during this. Which uh, you know, some people are dipping into their debts. Some people were already in debt. Some people have had to do this, uh, you know, have to reorganize everything. So we're going to see uh, really the results of this in you know probably in the fall. Uh, that's you know we're going to have a big surge. But for now, everyone's just sort of trying to survive. Um, that's the theme of of uh, I'm trying to do uh, uh, budgets or, or, or planning with them. And mm-hmm. how do you do that? I, I we kind of have to project. Like, okay, let's assume you're going to get your job back because well, how do you plan on something that's half of your income uh, mm-hmm. that it was before? So, yeah, it's it's a bit grim. It is. Yeah, and I always um, appreciate hearing stories from like actually on the ground floor, so to speak, because yeah. you know I talk about personal finance. Of course, I try my best to speak to people like yourself and other people who are actually dealing with real human beings. I try to talk to real human beings too. I mean, (laughs) as much as I can about what their issues are, but sometimes, you know, I get lost up here, uh, sort of just talking about personal finance and not actually realizing like how day to day, uh, these things are affecting people and how, you know, even the decision to go back to work, um, even though it may make financial sense, may not be possible for someone who's dealing with their own mental health issues, their own anxiety, they're owning securities about whether work is safe or not. So and child so care. Many, and child child care, care is the big thing right now. Yeah. I know that, um, just as an aside, I know that um, uh, employment lawyers are saying that the rules only just recently have been expanded so that they can include COVID-19 as a, a reason to accommodate. So if you're working from home right now and, you're, and your office is opening up, 
one of the reasons to accommodate is childcare, is if you have an immune immunocompromised person in your home, is if you have anxiety about going back to work. So all of okay. these things can be accommodated. Um, and you just need to keep that communication. I mean, things that maybe not maybe things that would not have been accommodated in the past, like in the past, you couldn't use childcare as an excuse of not being able yeah. to go to work. Um, you would have to take a sick day or you'd have to do something different. Um, but now you can use that as a legitimate reason for your employer to accommodate you. The problem arises is if you have the kind of job where you have to be in person. So say you've been laid oh, off yeah. from your job at a factory, but now the factory is reopening. You can't, can't really, yeah. yeah, it's very difficult for that employer to say, I'll pay you to be home because you can't do your job at home. Because I was I was reading about that, yeah, that the current or I guess recent current um, um, employment law said there, that COVID-19 is not, is not, a, uh, or, or sorry, uh, anxiety about COVID-19 or anxiety about a pandemic, um, mental health reasons for that is not, it was not acceptable. So they've just amended this or they're working on it. Well, um, from what I spoke to, I spoke to an employment lawyer this week. Um, they, it, it, uh, I can't remember the exact um, exact language that they changed, but they are changing uh, the number of different ways that people can be accommodated in their okay. workplace. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to say the labor code because it's not the labor code that's being changed, but it's um, it's it's things that uh, it, it's it's uh, it's ways that you can be accommodated. So uh, the message really is is yeah. that. If you have a legitimate reason why you cannot do your job from your office, but you could do your job from home, that you need to speak to HR, you need to speak to your employer, let them know about your circumstances. The problem is, is if you have a job that can only be done in yeah, person, that, yeah. that okay. creates, how can someone pay you if you, you can't even do the job? That that yeah. creates a whole different situation. That would be tough. They'd have to make up something for you, right? Yeah, uh, which they can in some cases. I mean, they could, yeah, but yeah. So it's good to have the conversation anyway, right? Just 100%. have the conversation, you know... Uh, Hopefully, you can have a conversation and your job isn't in peril for having that conversation, right? Mm -hmm. um, that That's, you know, nobody should be afraid of that, especially right now. A hundred percent. The other thing that uh, was really interesting this week is that CMHC is going to change the way they underwrite mortgages, underwrite uh, insured mortgages. So an insured mortgage, just as a, as a, as a refresher, is when you put less than 20% down to buy a home. And so then uh, CMHC insures your home, which you pay an insurance premium, uh, because uh, you don't have enough equity in that home uh, for the, the banks to feel comfortable lending you the money. So the money that you borrow from the bank has to be insured. Um, and so CMHC is saying that they are going to change the rules, make them basically stricter. Uh, and uh, the requirements to get a loan when it's insured are going to be higher. So uh, they're going to uh, change the ratios when it comes to gross and total debt servicing. So the gross debt servicing will be 35% of your annual income. And so gross debt servicing is money that it costs you to actually run your home. So that includes your mortgage payments, your heat, 50% of your condo fees, and your oh, property okay. tax. Okay. Total debt servicing, they're going to say, cannot be more than 42% of your annual income. And that includes all those things I just mentioned. And on top of it, things like credit card payments, uh, car payments, other loans that you actual, may actual have to do. Yeah. So basically what they're saying is that if you come to the table, even with a high salary, if you're highly indebted in other places, we will not be able to insure your loan because we don't feel that you can make all those payments if interest rates were to rise or other things were to happen um, in the future. 
And the reason they're doing this is because a couple of weeks ago, like we talked about, uh, they foresee that market, the, the housing market is going to decrease by 9 to 18% housing prices over the next mm. 12 months. And so what they're basically saying is that for first-time home buyers, they don't want them to be in a position like we saw back in 0809 in, in the United States where you buy a house for $400,000, you put 20%, less than 20% down, and that house value falls to 325 or 350 and all of a sudden you actually owe more money than what yeah. you actually um, uh, than what the house is actually worth. And then that creates another effect where people start walking away from their homes because why would you be paying for something that's not even worth how much you're paying for it? Um, so they're trying then, to avoid that. Then the industry collapses, which is what happened yeah, in 2008, I mean, 2009. It's is, is more complicated than that. But um, ultimately, if those it's those rules that enable that to happen. And so by tightening these rules and i i see that the credit minimum credit score is uh, uh changed to 680 as well mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and uh, the big one that i think is important is you can't like borrow uh money from your your home your existing home to get a new home like they're saying non-traditional sources of down payment that increase indebtedness so like a home equity line of credit for example yes uh, on on another home cannot be used for a down payment on an, on your second property, right? That's a, it's a huge deal. I always thought that that was ridiculous. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, don't you don't borrow money for a down payment? <laughs> why why would you do that? Right? Um, you don't borrow to get into more debt, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, it's like borrowing to invest. Sir, th- you know that's a preferential thing. Do whatever you like. Take your own risk. But I personally think borrowing to invest. If you have to borrow, don't invest. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. clear. I mean, it, I think they already had brought in a rule that you cannot borrow from your uh, pr- um, principal residence to buy an income property. That rule has, has already been in existence. So this just okay. stretches it even okay, more, uh, basically saying, like, I guess if you have a line of credit somewhere, uh, non-traditional sources of down payment, um, basically, if you're getting into debt to buy this home, they're not they're not on board with that. Uh, which you're right, especially for first-time home buyers. Sh- like that, the, basically, they don't want you to be like 100% in debt. You're, you're not, not ready, ready for a house. Like uh, you know, don't let pe- anyone push you into buying a home until you have money to do it. Right? Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, and that's the only reason you would buy the home earlier is because the world is saying you got to get that. You got to get in before it's too late. Right. <laughs> So RateHub, which is a website that uh, talks about interest rates across Canada, um, did uh, some math and they said that with an annual income of $100,000 and 10% down, um, a, a family would qualify, say a couple would qualify for a home worth uh, $524,980 right now. But July 1st, when these new rules come in where you have yeah. to have, you have to um, uh, satisfy a higher limit when it comes to your total, uh, your your uh, debt service ratios, uh, you have to have a higher um, credit score. Although the credit score really doesn't uh, make yeah. a difference to how much you can borrow, but uh, basically you have to you're you're you'll be held held to a higher standard. Yes. Uh, that same uh, family uh, could only afford a home of four hundred sixty two thousand and change. So what that's really going to oh, do? Because yeah. real estate agents, mortgage brokers, uh, you know, they're so hilarious sometimes on Twitter. Like they're just like on there right now, pushing their clients to buy a home during a pandemic without even really seeing the house or whatever, basically letting people know as of July 1st, you will be able to afford less and you won't be able to get the same home that you're looking at today and all these kind of messages. 
What I'm trying to say is that home prices are going to get depressed because of this rule. Because yeah. new home buyers will not be able to afford as much or bid as high. So that's going to put pressure on home prices, especially in that market that, you know, the first time home buyers market where you get those homes that are, you know, three bedroom homes like or condos, maybe not the second home that you buy, but the first home that you buy, starter home as they're called, that market is definitely going to come under pressure. And so all prices will come down. And so everybody will be able to sort of um, afford afford that same home. But it's just going to take a while for all that to filter through the system. I would not rush to buy a home before July 1st. Please, please do not do that because um, that's the last that's the last purchase you want to make in haste. I mean, don't rush to buy a home ever. No, yeah. It's like, what's the rush? What, <laughs> Like, you know, what happens most of the time is people rush and then they get in trouble, right? There's things yeah. that happen, right? This is a big, big purchase. Take your time. Hey, try to get to the 20%. If you really can't get to the 20%, fine. But uh, at least give it a try, right? Think about yeah. why. Think about your goals. Why do you need to get there so fast? Is it because somebody told you? Or is yeah. it because that's what you want? Is there really a problem with renting for a little longer? Just think about these things. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the the saying goes, the best time to buy a house was today or 20 years ago. I mean, you can always keep that in, the, in your mind that, you know, on top of all of that, the best time to buy a house is when you can afford to pay for it. Yeah. yeah. You're comfortable with the mortgage payments. You're comfortable with interest rates going higher. You stress test yourself, not just uh, what the government is uh, now asking banks to do or financial institutions to do, but also even on your own, say, if rates were 4% higher, four percentage points higher, would sure. I be able to afford this home? Not 4%, four percentage points. So if you're getting a rate right now, you can get super low rates of 2.5%. Could yeah, you afford well. that mortgage at 6.5%? If you can, you could comfortably go in and buy that house because that's probably... Um, the most that mortgage rates will go up in five years yeah, is four I to five percentage so. points. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, wow. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about, which we did sort of allude to in the beginning, is the protests are happening across the country. Um, uh, you know, we've already talked about the fact that we don't know what it is to walk in a black person's shoes because neither of us yeah, are absolutely. black. Yeah. And I support it uh, wholeheartedly. I didn't put a black square up on Tuesday. Because I didn't want to seem like I was jumping on a bandwagon. I've always been listening. I've always been listening to not just the black community, but other people's struggles. It's As a journalist, that's what you do. You listen to people's struggles and then you report on it. Um, I did put something up uh, to, talk that, to talk about you know, how we have to take the momentum from that day and keep our foot on the gas for the long term in order to actually make change. My um, initial feeling is, is that we need to reach way back to uh, public school level, to high school level, find those bright lights, foster and mentor young people who mm -hmm. are on, who could be fast tracked to CEO positions, manager positions, entrepreneurs, um, put those ideas into their head that they are, that is possible for them rather than trying to find them at 20 and 30 years old when no one has mentored them throughout their young lives. You need to start right from the beginning uh, I used this example yesterday on the business panel for CBC. Justin Trudeau, when he was a baby, Richard Nixon held him on his lap and said, one day you're going to be the prime minister of Canada. <laughs> so not all of us can have that experience, no. of course. But 
Imagine having someone say to you, like I say to my daughter all the time, you can be whatever you want. You can be the CEO of a company. You could be the prime minister of Canada. You could be an entrepreneur. You can be anything. So I'm already putting those ideas in her head so that when she goes to school, she learns with that understanding. I can be anything I want. And my, my parents are here to support me. So if you have children who don't have that support system, we have to find those children and support them in the best way possible. School system, uh, through uh, the foster foster children system, whatever it is, it, we need to put those ideas into their minds and know that they are just as capable if they have the right mentorship as everyone else to get to those levels. They're, they are just as talented and as brilliant as everybody else. Absolutely. It, it, that's along those lines. I, I, I've been sharing uh, on Instagram and Twitter uh, my interview with uh, Daryl Brown. He's a, he's a CFA. Um, uh, C- yeah, CFA. Uh, I think that's uh, well. He's got a few designations, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, he's black, and he uh, talked about how he always stayed in the background because he wasn't sure, you know, who was going to be his uh, friend and clients. Yeah. And he referenced um, uh, a speech at the I think it's uh, the Canadian Urban uh, Financial Professionals uh, uh, Conference or uh, Association Conference. And uh, there was a VP of finance from TD or one of the big banks speaking to kids at Regent Park. And they, and uh, he was like, what do you want to be? You know, you want to be, do you want to be me? You want to have a job like mine? And uh, the consensus from the kids was, those jobs, that's not for us. Mm -hmm. We can't do that. Mm -hmm. And he, he was just, he just became aware at that point when he said it to those kids that, that those barriers were there. He wasn't. Uh, he wasn't uh, even aware, as a member of the community, um, how much, how prevalent that those ideas were. That uh, the black kids weren't were told that they could be a VP of finance, and and they're literally looking over at the downtown core from Regent Park and seeing the big towers and thinking, we can't do that. Mm-hmm. And so you're absolutely right. That's we have to start there, with these kids. And say you can, like you're doing with your kids, mm-hmm. right? You know, um, you know, I, I have a, I have a son, white, white male son. You know, he's he's never going to have that thought in his head, right? And that's just because b- that's b- by default, right? Mm-hmm. The 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 white male d- default that needs to go away, right? It should be just anybody, right? There's a journalist on uh, Twitter, uh, Karen. I can't remember her last name. She now works for uh, Quartz.com, I believe. Is it Quartz? Um, she her her title her handle used to be White Guy Confidence, and I thought that spoke that spoke uh, a lot because that's what it is, right? It's you know when you're a white guy, you have confidence that you can be anything because you see yourself represented in every Everything. single situation, yes. whether it be entertainment or sports or business or entrepreneurship or yeah. being a chef or being a the prime anything. minister, the president, uh, everything uh, and Astronauts. multiple examples of yeah, it. Not exactly. just, not just a token one white person. It's multiple examples of constantly yeah, being bombarded by positive examples of who you can be every, everywhere. And we, I, I feel like we need to mention first nations too, because, um, you know, uh, the, the indigenous uh, population of Canada are not represented well at all. And, uh, you know, there's First Nations universities. Even less than black people. In yeah, even ways. less. Yeah. Absolutely. Even, uh, even less. And, uh, you know, I spoke to somebody who teaches at First Nations University. And, you know, she just happens to be a white person. 
but it's it's about uh, you know she spent her whole life studying First Nations in the in the uh, you know um, I guess um, it's in the states Native Americans and Canada um, you know I think Aboriginal is probably the term that fits every mm -hmm. uh, uh, across North America but you know the, she's trying to teach uh, it, um, it's all about just ah you know uh, we need to empower people um, to uh, be represented to 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 become that representation and uh, the pioneers, right? The 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 people who uh, you know kind of uh, dive through all of this uh, you know white um, uh, de default junk to get to that position, uh, like the VP of Finance uh, guy, and th but but that's like he's just well, that's one, and then he's talking to a group of kids, and and they still think that they can't beat him. Mm -hmm. So how yeah how do we change that? Uh, protests is that is that uh, the only way? Is no, only I, way? I, well, no, no, it's not the only way. I think that we need to actually make effective change in the school yeah. systems. Um, yeah. That may be redrawing school boundaries so that kids of all one community are not going to one school. Okay, so that yeah. you're mixing children from different communities from different yeah. backgrounds, so they have different experiences. They see people in different positions okay. uh, for both their sakes, right? Because uh, often you'll hear. Uh, neighborhoods will get upset when they redraw boundaries and kids from a different neighborhood are coming in because they don't like the fact that their kids are going to let's forget that yeah public let's school forget system, that the public school system should be set up so that you get exposure to everything intentional intentionally, intentionally exposure yeah. to everything right um and um i i have always been a big advocate i don't think that there should be a catholic and a public school system i think there should be one system why is there one system for one type of uh family and yeah. um I, I, you know and it's just not, another I, way of segregation right it's, it's like another way of you know religious yeah. i mean i uh, yeah i don't want to get into a religious conversation but yeah. you know that's and there's many black people who are catholic so i, I don't know too, i don't think right? that necessarily and, would solve yeah, that problem so, but but, yeah. but again it's just like yeah let's why are we dividing everything up why doesn't everyone yeah. get the same education right yeah Oh, that, yeah, this this is a bigger conversation, I guess, <laughs> I guess right? So, uh, Bo, I wanted to end uh, just by saying that I believe, I, I know from my perspective, I'm a huge supporter of Black Lives Matter. I'm listening. I am trying my best in my writing uh, to find black voices to be able to do my job properly. If I'm not actively seeking out black voices to talk about personal finance, I am not going to be, I'm not doing my job as a journalist properly. I'm just finding yeah. people who I feel comfortable with and I like talking to, and that's the people I have on, on air that is not doing justice to, 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 to anybody. Right. That's easy to do too. It's easy to find people. Of course. Right? Of course. The people you grew up with, why don't I just call them and it's talk so to them? It's so comfortable. So right? comfortable. It's, we need to step out a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we're going to have another show next week. Um, as always, if you have a question that you would like us to answer, if you have a comment about the program today, the podcast today, uh, please write to us. You can go to dearruby.com, D-E-A-R-R-U-B-I.com. You can send an audio question. You can send an email question. You can find us on Twitter now, Dear Ruby Podcast. You can tweet at us. Um, please follow us. Uh, we'll always be putting up um, uh, any announcements. And, of course, when there's a new episode, we'll put that up as well, too. And uh, it's, you know, as COVID-19 continues and people's personal finances continue to be impacted by this pandemic, we will be bringing you all the information as it happens uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, Bo, always wonderful to chat with you every week. I wish you the best this week. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. See you then.